Thank you for being back here tonight on a Sunday night and uh, spending some time with us in the study of God's Word. Take your copy of God's Word and go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And I want us to just spend a few minutes tonight talking about God creating a woman. God creating a woman. One of the dilemmas among evolutionists, since we are in a series on creation, one of the dilemmas among evolutionists is how to explain uh, gender differences. In other words, evolutionary process, uh, according to them, uh, follows a you know ever increasing progress in the in the entity, but they cannot explain, and they have a hard time explaining how, if evolution were how we got here, how we evolved into male and female. How did that come about? Um, two researchers who are not Christian men, Dr. Harob and Dr. Thompson, wrote an article in 2003, and I want to read a couple of excerpts from their analysis considering evolution and how genders came about. Listen to this. Here's the first quote. The origin and maintenance of sex and recombination is not easily explained by natural selection. Do tell, okay? All right, listen to the rest of it. Evolutionary biology is unable to reveal why animals would abandon asexual reproduction in favor of more costly and inefficient sexual reproduction. Just so that you understand, asexual reproduction would be like an earthworm who makes more earthworms from itself, okay? As versus a male and a female uh, to reproduce. Now here in another spot, listen to what they say and I quote, the current article reviews some of the current theories for why sexual reproduction exists today. Yet, as these theories valiantly attempt to explain why sex exists now, they do not explain the origin of sex. Listen to this part. We suggest that there is no naturalistic explanation that can account for the origin and maintenance of sex. You get that last part? These two secular scholars said, we give up. There's no naturalistic explanation for the existence of gender differences and the maintenance of gender differences in evolutionary process. Well, I got good news for you. God didn't leave us in the dark about this, okay? I got good news for you. We know where men and women came from. We know why there are men and why women. process had nothing to do with it. God created the first man, Adam. God created the first woman, Eve, and God put them together in the garden. It is interesting uh, that as society today unfortunately wrestles with the issue of gender identification and gender this and gender that, and, and the terms are developed so fast I can't keep up with them. Okay, I mean, for all the different uh, expressions of wobble is explicitly clear that there are men and there are women. There's male and there's female. And in this passage this evening, we understand why God created the way he did. And we understand why God created a man and he created a woman uh, for his purpose. And we can see that tonight. So look at verse 18. Uh, as God begins here, as the, the account of creation continues, in verse 18, the Bible tells us of Genesis chapter 2, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, a help." make, if you will, comparable to him or compatible to him or one like him. So far through this 
first two chapters of Genesis, chapter 1, and then the first 18 verses of chapter 2, God has made three declarations, and this is one of them. In chapter 1, during the six days of creation, when God would create during the six days and he would finish that day, what would he say? And it was good. That's a declaration. In other words, God created and God put what he designed to create there. And at the end of the day, he would look at it and he would say, that's good. Now, why was it good? It was good because it was form and function of exactly what God wanted it to be. Plants, fish, birds, the planet, whatever it was God wanted to do that day, he spoke it and it happened and he, and he declared it's good. Then he made another declaration similar to that. At the end of the six days when everything was finished, God looked at all of creation when he rested on the seventh day and he said it was very good. Not just good, but he said it's very good, meaning everything that he created along the way, form, function, now fit together perfectly just as he designed it to function. The universe, the stars, the planets, the moon, the earth, the animals, the whole thing. So two declarations of it is good, and then it is very good. Oh, but God makes a declaration in verse 18 that's not positive, it's negative. He makes a declaration that something's missing. He said it is not good that man should be alone. So it was good, it's very good, and then God said, well, this is not good. Now, I don't say this to be blasphemous or anything. Did God forget something? Did God, did God create and all of a sudden go, ooh, that's not good. I, I, I missed that part. You know, I meant to fix. No, not at all. Okay, not at all. God said it was not good for Adam to be alone so that we would understand it's not good for man to be alone. Not for him because he messed up, but because we need to understand that. God created men and women. He created male and female to complement one another. Now, why would God say it's not, uh, not good for Adam to be alone. Let me give you some thoughts about that, okay? Um, Adam was created different from the rest of the animals, wasn't he? I mean, the rest of the animals, especially the fish in the sea, God created them in mass. Basically, the Hebrew there, when God uh, spoke the sea full of life, it was uh, let it teem with life is what you could say. In other words, God just spoke and there was every species imaginable and all the creatures in the ocean and it was full of life. And God kind of did the same thing with the birds, right? And he said, let the, let the birds fill the air. And so God spoke. He didn't go, uh, you know, let there be a, a toucan bird and a hummingbird. And a, he, he did it all at once. He spoke and boom, there's all the kind of birds that fly in the air. And even when he created the land animals and the insects and the bugs, kind of in mass too, right? Let the land have animals and the, and the creatures and the things. So God spoke and all of the species came into existence instantly, but not so with Adam. He's different, isn't he? God took up the, the dust of the ground and he formed Adam. Uh, special attention, if you will. You can put any of those terms on it. God, God made him uh, special, created him singular. Why? Why did God give such attention to Adam? Because we read, did we not, that, that God said among the Godhead, let us create man in our image. In other words, the, the capstone of creation was man. The, the, the whole earth, you understand that far from an evolutionary process where we just happened to be lucky to come out on top of the pile, no, it was an organized, thoughtful thing that God created the universe and the, and the planet and earth is where it is and the food and the resources because God intended all along to create a special 
creature, man, created in his image. And we say that a lot, and we've talked about it, and I won't spend a lot of time on it here. Being created in the image of God separates us from everything else that's created. Even the angels, even the cherubim, the servant, they're not created in the image of God. You understand that, right? We are the only creatures that are created in the image of God. And all that that encompasses, really, that we can't even comprehend. So Adam was a, a special creation, and God took special care, formed his body out of the dust of the ground, and created him singular, special, and unique. Unique. Adam was different from the other animals. He was going to stand on two feet, hands, opposing thumbs, intellect, the whole deal that we're going to talk about in a moment. Unique from all of creation. Now, what attributes and traits did God give Adam where it was not good for him to be alone? Well, the first one I would suggest <clears throat> has to do with social interaction. Adam was created in, in the image of God to be social. Now, let's just admit, some of us, some of you are more social than others, okay? And I don't, I don't count myself as being a hyper-social person, kind of an introvert. But the point is, God created us to need other people. We, we need other people, particularly our mates, and we'll get to that in a moment. But we're created social. Why did God create Adam to be a social being? Is not God social? Sure he is. God loves us. And God wants a relationship with you and me so intently that he was willing to give his only begotten son to make that happen. That's pretty social, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's pretty social. God created us, and he wants us to live with him forever. In fact, Jesus so desires us to spend eternity with him that he went back to heaven and made a place for us to live. I'm going to go create a place for you. And if I go create a place for you, I will most definitely come back and get you. And I will take you to where I am and we can be together forever. God is social. And so Adam was created social to communicate, to fellowship, to share ideas, to have feelings and emotions. You know, God's emotional. He's not capricious like we are with emotions, but God feels God loves, God hates sin, but he does it perfectly. So Adam was created uh, to have this social interaction. The fact is, beloved, we need one another. Why do you think Jesus Christ created the church? Because when we get saved, we need the church. We are the church, but we need the fellowship. We need local bodies of Christians. It doesn't matter if a church has 25 people in it or 2,500 people in it. The purpose is the same, that we, that we come in and we fellowship with one another and we share around God's word and we encourage one another. Why? Because we're social beings. God created us to do that. And I've said this many times, and Bill and I have talked about it. I would rather spend my time with brothers and sisters in Christ to fellowship with, to go out and eat with, to go to the gun range with, to hang out with, to just be with other Christians. Why? Because you encourage me because you strengthen me, because you, because you feel that need that God created in us to have fellowship, particularly in the body of Christ, because we're all saved, because we have one Lord, and we have one Spirit who empowers us all. And so just as in that perfection of the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam was a social being. Now, some of, you, some of you scholars will go, wait a minute, Pastor. Now, Adam had fellowship with God. Yes, he did, in perfect fellowship because he hadn't sinned yet. But understand, God created us to be social with one another, to have fellowship with one another as we worship him. And that's kind of hard for Adam because he's the only one on the planet. 
right? And so God looked at him and said, mm, not good that he's alone. Not good that he's all by himself. And secondly, we've read ahead in the book that Adam didn't know, but what did God plan for Adam to do? To be the head of all of humanity, right? And God created, created him male for a reason, so that he could procreate. Well, for him to procreate, he needed a complement, right? He needed somebody to procreate with. He needed a wife. He needed a mate. And so God said, for the plan, for him to populate the earth, for the plan for him to bring about the human race through this one man, it's not good for him to be alone. He needs a, he needs a mate. And guess what? I wrote this and underlined it in my notes. God was going to create the human race, and he didn't need evolution to do it. All right? He created a man, and he's going to create a woman, and he's going to create the human race, perpetuate through those two, no evolutionary process necessary. Thank you very much. Because God knew what he was doing. I give you a third reason why it was important for Adam not to be alone. God knew Adam was going to sin when he made him. Right? And God knew that he was going to need a savior. And God knew 2,000 plus years after Jesus was here, you're going to need a savior. And so right there in the garden, God knew he needed a mate because the Savior was going to need to be born of who? A woman, the Virgin Mary. So for all these reasons, and probably a bunch of more that I don't have time to deal with, God looked at Adam and said, uh, not good for him to be alone. Not that God missed anything, but wants us to understand it's not good for man to be alone because God created us to have fellowship, to have a mate, to spend life that way. Now look at verse 18 again. He speaks of this one that God's going to create for him. It's not good for him to be alone. And he says there at the end of verse 18, he says, I will make him a, a helper comparable to him. A helper. Now let me make clear right here. God didn't say I'm going to make somebody to be your servant. Okay? He didn't say I'm going to make somebody to be inferior to him. No, not at all. Adam and Eve were, were before God in their respective purposes of creation equal to do what God created them to do. No, I, I want you to understand that Eve would be created to be a complement to him, to fill in all the areas where he was deficient. And likewise, the beauty of is it is Adam would be that complement to her and encourage her as well. And let me tell you the ways that they would complement one another, the same ways a husband and wife complement one another today. In the marriage relationship, which is what this mirrors when God gives her to him, in the marriage relationship, we complement one another emotionally, don't we? Would you agree with me that men and women are emotionally different? All the, all the guys have been married a long time ago, hey, men, we're, man, there's, there, you know, we are not the same emotionally. I get it. 41 years coming up here in February, emotionally a little bit different, Okay. But you know what? We complement one another. Where I am emotionless sometimes, she fills in the void, right? And, then, and, then, and we complement one another. You know that's not an accident. God created us that way. Isn't it wonderful that God would think of that? God would look at Adam and go, you know, you're going to be kind of Bob too sometime, man. I'm going to create somebody to take the corner for you, okay? I'm going to create somebody that's going to take the edge off of that, and you guys are going to compliment one another. I'll tell you another way that, that Eve would be his helper, would be his compliment, would be uh, psychologically. Guys, do women think different than men? 
Mm -hmm. Left brain, right brain, no brain. You know what? Some, sometimes, I mean the guys, right? I mean, sometimes we don't use any brain at all. And so God gives us a wife that sometimes has to use both brains for us, you know. But the point is, we think different. I give you a real life example. <clears throat> Ladies, this is not true. If your husband comes home and there's a problem and you tell him about it, you just want to tell him about it. You just want to share with him there's a problem. What's his automatic go-to? I'll fix it. You tell me the problem and I'll fix it. Do we not think different? We just are too dense sometimes to think she just wants to talk to us. She just wants to tell us what's good. She doesn't want us to fix anything. She just wants to share with us that this is a problem and the thing broke so that we can both feel bad about it, I guess. I don't know. But the guys, you know, we, what's our first move? You tell me something's not right, I'm going to make it right. I'm, I'm going to get it fixed. So we think different. So God gave, is going to give him a, a, a mate that will compliment him. How about this? Relationally, relationally, they complement one another. I'm pretty good at relationships. I'm, you know, with guys, I'm friends with them. We have this long-running joke with my buddy from the Navy. We tell our wives all the time, men don't have relationships, okay? We, we have friendships. We don't have relationships. Because ladies like to talk about relationships, I don't have relation. I have a relationship with my wife. That's the only relationship I have, okay? I have friendships, and I have friends, and I have brothers and sisters in Christ. I have all kinds of other things, but I don't have relationships with people except my wife. Well, women have relationships with everybody, right? In a, in a, in a good sense. I mean, they have friends, and they fellowship, and they hug, and they share. Guys, you know, we just aren't like that, right? Uh, I mean, the only thing we share is we talk about cars and trucks and hunting and guns and stuff, but women are different relationally, and guys need that, and women need the guys, and so God created us to complement, and then, of course, the most obvious is physically. I, God created us to be, to be physical as far as a relationship. God created us. There's nothing wrong with that. As I've taught all of my children as we have, the, we have the sex talk, you know, about dating and stuff, the first thing I tell them is, is the physical attraction that God created in us is nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it's completely natural. God created us that way. But you have to exercise it within the boundaries that God gave us. And so we have to talk about purity before marriage and all that stuff. But in the marriage relationship, isn't that the most wonderful thing that God created in the marriage relationship for a man and a wife to, to enjoy? And so as God looked at Adam, he said, he's all alone He's, he's going to need a mate that compliments him physically, and so God created a woman. He created Eve. Now, I always, when I'm talking about Eve and, and God creating her, I point this out when I do this study because I think it's true, and I think we ought to realize this. When you talk about a perfect man, when God created Adam, ladies, he was probably a hunk. You know what I mean? He was perfect. I mean, he had like zero body fat. You know, his six-pack looked like a six-pack. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he, God created him unflawed, right? I mean, he was perfect. Whatever, listen, let me put it this way. Whatever a human male is supposed to look like, he was it, right? Because God created him. Now, the same is true for Eve. Whatever a woman is supposed to look like, whatever, whatever the, hot, the, the perfect woman is supposed to look like, she was it. And so God created these two perfect people, spiritually sinless, physically perfect. And so, so she's going to be the perfect complement in every way to his perfection in, in God initially creating them. So 
God knew what Adam needed, and God said it's not good for him to be alone. And so then there is the, the, the marriage aspect of it. Think about this. The fact that Eve was created by God, and we'll see it in just a moment, to be the perfect complement to Adam, is that not what God has done in marriage throughout all of human history? That's exactly what he's done. The marriage, the marriage is designed by God to be, to be a union of a man and a woman, listen to me, male and female, period. Male and female, not two men, not two. Two men cannot experience what God created marriage to be. Two women cannot experience what God created marriage to be, period. I don't care what anybody says. They can't. God created marriage to be one man and one woman for life to enable one another, to help one another be all that God created them to be. A marriage relationship between a man and woman is a sacrificial relationship, not a selfish relationship. Would you agree with me, those of you who have been married for a while, there's a lot of giving involved in marriage, isn't there? There's a lot of giving to your mate and supporting them and helping them, and God created it that way. Selfishness doesn't go very far in a marriage, does it? Matter of fact, you can be selfish if you want to, but you won't be married for very long, or your marriage will be terrible. It is, it is the giving to one another, and it is the supporting of one another. It is helping one another grow, helping us to grow more Christ-like. I want my wife to grow spiritually, and she wants me to grow spiritually. And so we complement one another. You know what that brings? It brings joy, and it brings responsibility, and it brings challenges, because marriage is not always easy. But God created it to be the most fulfilling relationship that human beings can enjoy. So we see the picture of that in God saying, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, because all of that is true in the marriage relationship. Now, before God creates Eve, <clears throat> he exercises or allows Adam to exercise his dominion. So look at verses 19 and 20. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. These two verses set up the creation of Eve, and, and it highlights the fact that Adam was alone. Notice what, uh, what it tells us here. Number one, it reiterates to us that God created everything. There's no room here for evolution. And the reason I keep harping on that, and the reason I say that every time is because there are Christians and there are some theologians who have compromised with the world. And they try to fit evolution into God's creation account. It doesn't fit, is what I'm telling you. Don't fall for that. God, listen, God did not use evolution to create man. God spoke it. God spoke. God formed man, if you will, anthropomorphic with his hands. And God doesn't have hands, but you understand what I'm saying? God formed him and breathed into him the breath of life. So God created everything. No such thing as evolution. Think about Adam as, he, as God said, Adam, I want, you to, I want you to look at all the animals. I want you to look at the birds and look at, look at everything that's created. And I gave you dominion over it. Remember, God said have dominion over it and, and care for it. Well, Adam, I, I need you to name, this, name the animals. Look at them and, and, then, and then name them. And whatever you name them, that's what we're going to call them. Isn't that cool? 
I mean, God did created, creates Adam, and says, you know what, Adam? Uh, why don't you name all this stuff? Now, God could have named them, right? I mean, the Bible says God named all the stars. That would be a little tough for Adam because they're innumerable, okay? And he might have lost count. Well, I was here, and I don't know where I am because the earth moved. So I don't, I don't know where I was. But animals, God said, you know, why don't you, why don't you name the animals? Now, what does it mean that God allowed Adam to name the animals? Well, it solidifies his dominion over them. If you can name them, you can own them, right? I mean, if you name them, it shows your dominion over them. I was thinking when I was studying this, when our children are born, who names them? We do, don't we? Why? Because they're ours. We had them, you know, so we name them, right? The nurse doesn't name them. The doctor doesn't name them. The state don't name them. Maybe the state will get to that one of these days, but they don't name them. We name them, right? Well, that looks, you know, that little rascal looks like, you know, whatever name you come up with. And, you know, and that little girl looks like whatever name you come up with. What does naming something indicate? It indicates superiority over it. It indicates control over it. It indicates some kind of ownership. And so what God was doing for Adam is saying, hey, I gave you dominion over this stuff, so you name it. Now, what level of intelligence is required to name all the animals? Just think about that. Got pretty smart, I think, right? I mean, I don't know that I could come up with that many names. I don't, I don't know that I could sit around and just make up names. You know, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. But Adam was smart enough to actually name everything. Well, what does that tell us about Adam? It tells us he had the ability for deductive reasoning. I don't know how he came up with a name. Maybe, you know, he looked at a zebra and it's got stripes all over it. We'll just call that a zebra. I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, he, somehow he, he, did, he, he did deductive reasoning. I mean, he saw this animal eating ants out of an ant pile and he said, well, it must be an anteater, right? I mean, it's an anteater. I don't know how he came up with the names, okay? But however he came up with the names, obviously there was some thought process. Notice this also. Not only in him exercising his dominion to, to, to name the animals, but Adam had a language. Don't miss that. He had a language. You say, what language did he speak? I don't have any idea. But he conversed with God. Whatever language it was, him and God talked to one another. And what do we do when we talk? We share information, don't we? We share feelings. We share emotion. God talked to him, and Adam heard it, and he received it, and he understood it. And then Adam would talk to God and ask questions, and they would fellowship. And, and, and to be able to name the animals, he did it with a language of some kind, some, some kind of language. So, uh, by the way, you know, evolutionists, says, evolutionists say that language came after eons and eons of time that, that man in his earliest forms just grunted and pointed at things. That's real flattering, isn't it? I mean, if you really believe in evolution, you know, we were no better than the, than the animals grunting and pointing and stuff because we couldn't talk, and then we came up with a language. No, 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 no. The first man was talking when God woke him up, okay? So I don't know what language they were using, but he could communicate. And so it also identifies in his dominion exercise that, that Adam could express ideas, that he could think and he could come up with things, that he could be creative. All that's in the image of God. And Adam expressed that uh, as, he, as he named the animals. Now, here's why God told us this. Because in that process of naming the animals, think about how it might have went. I don't know how it went. I mean, God doesn't tell us. So let's just say Adam's in the garden or he's around the garden and there's all the animals. 
and he notices something. You know, every time I, I see one antelope, there's another one. Every time I see one, you know, horse, there's another one. And, and, the, and the sheep, there's two sheep. And they're different. They're not the same. You know, one's like this and one's like that. And they kind of walk around together. Like the, the male sheep walks around with the female sheep. And, the, you know, and so he notices that. And what's the last thing it says there? But for Adam, what? There was nobody. And at that point you go, oh, you feel bad for him, right? He was all alone. He didn't have nobody. Now God's going to fix that. Look at verses 21 and 25. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. What a, what a great passage. Let me just point out some stuff for us to think about uh, before we finish. First of all, God caused Adam to sleep and took part of him. First surgery, I guess. You know, I don't know what you want to call it. First uh, uh, anesthetization and first surgery, and God takes his rib out and makes a woman. Again, we don't know how this goes. God just gives us the details here. He doesn't fill our curiosity. But I got to think. I mean, I just got to think. Adam's asleep. God makes his woman. Adam wakes up. And God says, Adam, look what I got for you. Look what I made. Because remember, God and Adam are talking, right? They're fellowshipping, and there's nothing between Adam and God because Adam has no sin, and so Adam can talk to God. God's talking to Adam. Adam, got something for you. Made something for you. Wasn't good for you to be alone. It's a, made, a helpmate for you. Now, it's kind of it's like non event here when Adam goes, wow, that's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. We'll call her a woman. Uh, he probably, he said that because God said he said it, but I think he said a whole bunch of other stuff too. I think he's probably pretty happy. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he saw her for the first time and he went, wow, Lord, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, I mean, again, remember, he's the perfect man. She's the perfect woman. So when she comes to him, he's probably pretty excited. He's like, wow, she's pretty. Yeah, Lord, that's, I needed somebody and that'll work. That's pretty good, okay? I mean, we, we match up pretty good. I think he was excited. I think he, I, listen, God doesn't give bad gifts, does he? So I think when God gave her to him, he's pretty happy. I mean, he saw what God did and, 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 and he was glad for God to bring him a mate. Now think about their likeness when he looked at her and he saw her. They're alike physically, except she's a woman and he's a man. Now, again, remember, it says at the end of this thing, they were naked and they weren't ashamed. Why? Because there's no sin yet. There's no, there's no evil thought about, about nudity or, or the body or any misuse of anything. It's perfect. And, and there are scholars who say, oh, well, they were clouded in this, you know, surrounded in this glory. Eh, the Bible says they were naked, okay? So, so they're perfect. They don't need any clothes because God created them that way. 
but she's like him physically. Think about it. He sees her. She she's, has a body like his, the only other creature now that, that's built like him. Arms, legs, feet, eyes, face. Think she can talk to him. Because when God created her, he created her with the same abilities he had, the same language, the same ability to understand, same intellect, except she's a woman, he's a man. And so everything that he was missing, she now fills that, all the intellectual discussions. Now he can not only talk to God, but he can talk to somebody like him. And think about the joy of this. Adam, from the moment of his creation, is learning things, isn't he? I mean, he's learning things. God said, you know, well, look around here and take care of the garden. And Adam is seeing, seeing I don't think apple was the forbidden fruit. So what did you say? He sees an apple tree for the first time. He sees grapes for the first time. Think about the first time he eats one. Then he eat food before. God says, man, that's pretty good. You can eat that. And he eats a grape. Well, that's really good. And he eats an apple or an orange or whatever fruit there. I bet it was a pecan tree there. It has to be pecans there, right? I mean, so all of this food, Adam's learning. So now how fun is it going to be for him to be able to take Eve by the hand and say, you got to try this. These little round things right here, we call them grapes. They're pretty good. You need to eat some of those. I mean, think of the joy of discovering life together. What, do you see a similarity? What do we do when we get married? We discover life together, don't we? We, we discover all the things in life that we're going to do. So God created her for him uh, in, in likeness and physical and intellect and emotion. Uh, and then the, the intimacy of marriage, not just physically. But there's an intimacy in marriage Adam and Eve to have that you can't get anywhere else. You can't get anywhere else. That's the one person that you can talk to. It's the one person you can have fellowship with, really on a level you can't have anybody else. And God intended it to be that way, a tremendous relationship to have that mate. Now, Adam's, Adam's response, uh, as we said, he said, well, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Adam understood in that statement the magnitude of what God did for him. He, he got it. Because remember, before sin, he's a smart guy. He understood what God was doing. And really, probably on a level we can't get to. So he understood the woman was made just for him, and he was, and he was happy. Now, the first marriage ever in humanity took place in the Garden of Eden right here. And, and listen, God walked the first bride down the aisle, if you will. God walked her to him, brought her to him. We went to a, we had a memorial service here yesterday morning for Teresa Watt's dad, Mr. Case. And when we got done, we, we had to go to a, a wedding in Lake City. And I was reminded, having studied this already as we watched the wedding, the dad brings the daughter down the aisle and, and the whole thing, right? And the, the bride and the groom stand up there and the pastor did the thing and pronounced them husband and wife. And, you know, they're eating the cake and celebrating and stuff. Where do we get all that from? Where, where, where do we get this idea of choosing a maid and living? Listen, marriage, man didn't invent marriage. Cultures didn't invent marriage. Different parts of the world didn't invent. Isn't it interesting that all over the world in every tongue and every tribe and every nation, two people pair up? Well, it's not an accident. You know, I mean, somebody somewhere in history didn't go, well, you know what would be a good idea is all of us just find one person and we just live the rest of our life with them. No, that's not the human way. The human way is to be, is to be sinful about it. No, God created it. And so God in the garden, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be 
joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. God created marriage. God created the permanence of marriage. Husband and wife till death do us part. Husband and wife till Jesus calls one of us home or comes back to get us. So marriage is this thing that God created. And then finally, we touched on it a moment ago, unashamed in their relationship with one another until sin came in. Unashamed, why? Because the marriage union is created for us to enjoy one another without shame, without being self-conscious, to be able to be who we are in the home. I, I say this, we've, we've had marriage retreats here and I've taught them and I go through series on family. Listen, in your home, in your marriage, that's who you really are. And you ought to be able to go home and be who you are and be that with your mate and that be your best friend and be the better than anybody else. And as Homer Lindsay used to say, your home ought to be a little corner of heaven on earth in your relationship with your spouse. And so God created that for them in sinless perfection. They weren't ashamed of one another in their nudity while there was no sin. And secondly, even today, even when fallen man and fallen humanity, there's a comfort level between a husband and wife because you're husband and wife, because you have that relationship, because God has made us one flesh. And, and unfortunately, Sherry hates it, but we end up thinking alike and looking at stuff the same. And she goes, how did that happen to me? I said, you've been married to me for a long time. That's how it happened to you. But God does that, doesn't he? I mean, you begin to think alike and you begin to see things the same way and you begin to talk alike. And then some people say, you start looking alike. And I'm like, whoa, hang on. Sherry don't need that, okay? She don't need to look like me. But the point is, over the years, that's what happens. And it's that intimacy that God creates in the marriage relationship. So to kind of summarize tonight, evolution has no, pro, no, no part in why there are men and women in the world. And, and listen, the movement today to, to erase and minimalize men and women in their gender roles is right out of hell. It's Satan trying to confuse society. The foundation, the building block of society is the home. Moms and dads raising the next generation to follow Jesus Christ. And if Satan can destroy that with two men and two women and, and all the things that are going on in society now, then you destroy the foundation of society. And, and part of the responsibility of a home of a mom and dad is to pass on their faith to their children. To, to like the Old Testament says, to talk about God when you get up, talk about him when you go to bed, talk about him during the day, write it on the doorpost. That's mom and dad's responsibility. That's grandma and granddad's responsibility. Why? Because we want them kids to be saved. That's why we got a whole host of people over there tonight teaching those children Bible verses. We got young people up there doing a Bible study right now. Why? Because we want the word of God in them so that when they go out into the world, they can be a different kind of people, different from the world. So God created the first woman, there are men and women in the world because God made it that way. And, and God created the marriage union for us to enjoy. Uh, what a blessing that he did, right? What a blessing that he did. Well, listen, tonight, I pray, the Sunday night crowd, if you're watching online, I pray that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The God who created us, the God who created you, he loves you. When Adam sinned, he could have left Adam to his ruin. He could have just killed him right there, but he didn't. He had mercy on him and grace, and he showed him a sacrificial system and a way to approach him through the blood that pointed to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood so we can be saved. And through the blood of Christ, you can be reconciled to the Father. 
If you've never been saved, would you do that tonight? If you've never confessed your sin to God, would you ask him tonight to forgive you? Would you tell God, I'm a sinner, and ask him to forgive you? Would you do it tonight? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the goodness of your word, for the encouragement in it. I pray tonight if there's a, a person watching online or a person in this place, on this campus, who is without Christ, that before they leave here tonight, Lord, they would be saved. They would come to you, confess their sin, and ask you to save them. Lord, if somebody's wrestling with conviction, Lord, let them not leave this place that they talk to one of us this evening. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I stand and sing. You come if I can pray with you this evening. I cast all my care.